Now, it's Lent, and, and often in Lent, people think about giving things up. And at Elam this year, we're, we're really not focusing on that as much as we are focusing on learning and developing and cultivating some very, very important habits in our lives. Now, the fact is, we all go through life with a bunch of habits, a whole arsenal of them as well. Some are good, uh, some are bad. And here's an infallible truth for you. If you're looking for some truth this morning, here's truth. Bad habits are almost impossible to break. Good habits sometimes feel almost impossible to learn. But that's our job. And that's what we're looking at. Some of the habits just happen subconsciously. Like that one. Don't even think about it. It just happens. Brian driving around in the traffic cruiser all week stops at stop signs, and I bet he sees all kinds of habits going on in cars that people aren't even conscious of. Not very pleasant necessarily, is it? A few. (laughs) I recently came across a motivational poster, and it too expresses a powerful truth. Motivation is what gets you started. Habit is what keeps you going. I just want you to tuck that thought away in the back of your mind for a few minutes, and we'll come back to it uh, towards the end of this, this time together. Now, our, our focus has been on those habits related to our spiritual health. Two weeks ago, Rick talked about cultivating the habit of prayer. Last week, he talked about the habit of simplicity. These are the important habits. And, and just as good habits are essential to our health, good eating habits... Good spiritual habits are essential to our spiritual health. What we're looking at today is is ways to help each other develop habits that enable us to say no to those things that would pull us away from God and to say yes to those things that it would help draw us nearer to God. Simplicity is one of those things. That's why we emphasized it last Sunday. Now, now today our focus is going to be on habits related to Scripture. You'll notice in the title there the word is engage. Uh, we're talking about a little more than reading the Bible, which is, however, naturally where we all begin. That's, that's how we access the Bible. We hear it. We read it. And I don't think any of us today would argue with the importance of Bible reading. But I want, you, I want to introduce you to a concept that may be a little bit new to you and may sound a bit odd at first, a little bit bizarre. And that is not the concept of you reading the Bible as much as the concept of the Bible reading you. And as it reads you, it speaks to you and calls you to be a different kind of person. That's what we've been singing about. That's what we sang about in that that song, Ancient Words, how, how the Scripture has the power to change us. It has this ability to, to make us different people when we engage it, when we read it, when we think about it, when we meditate on it, when we memorize it, when we learn from it. It will make us God's people. Now, reading it because of its value is is a great thing. But what it will do for us as we read is even greater. Because it will reshape our lives and make us fit citizens of God's kingdom. 
men and women who make a huge difference in our world. Now, there are lots of good reasons to read the Bible. I, I essentially want to review two with you this morning. It's not new information. I will likely not say anything that you don't already know, but that's okay. We always need to be constantly reminded of things that we all too easily forget. So we're going to remind ourselves of why it's important to read the Bible this morning. First, first reason. Spending time in the Bible is essential to knowing God and living in a growing relationship with Him. Essential to knowing God. Now let's go back to the Old Testament reading for today. It was Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy 11 comes at a, a very critical time in Israel's history. They are at the end of their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They are at the end of the exodus. They're preparing to enter the land that God had promised them. Now Moses, for 40 years, has been their leader. And often I think he felt like their babysitter. Uh, wasn't a pleasant job very often, but that was his job. But he's not going to go into the promised land because of some of his own issues. So it is now time for him to give to the Israelites his last words and last instructions before they go and take possession of the land. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles. It's uh, 148 in, in the Pew Bible there in front of you. Page 148. And, and look again at Deuteronomy 11, verse 1. It's a pivotal verse. You must love the Lord your God and obey all his requirements, decrees, regulations, and commands. This is not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's an outright command. You must obey the Lord your God. It's a command because God knows that this is absolutely essential to our spiritual health. Now, someone, meaning quite well, of course, might say, well, you know, that, that's Old Testament jargon. That business about obeying commands, that's, that's very Old Testament-ish. Uh, that, that doesn't fit in with the new gospel of grace. And I can understand why someone might say that, uh, if, if for no other reason than the way that the Jews handled the Old Testament, many of them. Because they took that Old Testament writing and they reduced it to over 600 rules. And everybody had to keep those rules, as impossible as it might seem. And obedience had become for them almost just a means, an end, not a means to an end. But it's not an Old Testament thing at all. It's just as much a New Testament thing. Brian read to us from John 14. You can turn to it on page 823. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands. Have you ever been singing a song in which you're saying to Jesus that you love him and you've sort of stopped right in the middle and stopped singing and said, How am I doing on those commands? I, I hope you have once in a while. It's a good thing to do. Then Jesus said in verse 23, 
Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them to make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. In both Judaism and Christianity, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, our relationship with God is characterized and defined by obedience. Now, some of us maybe have trouble with that word obedience because maybe some of us grew up finding it hard to be obedient. I'd like to think I could just look out at you and guess which ones of you had trouble with obedience growing up, but I'd probably be wrong. I'll tell you this about Wendy. I think she ever had a problem in her life. Uh, me was a little, little rougher. But, you know, there's another reason why we have trouble with this, and it's because we're Protestants. And as Protestants, it's in our DNA to believe that our salvation comes not from obedience, but from faith. So it, 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 we kind of chafe when we're told that we, we've got to obey because we say, no, we're, we, we should be told we have to believe. But in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the idea of a relationship with God starts with love and ends with obedience. The essence of that relationship is God loves us and he wants us to love him. And he wants that love to be expressed in obedience. Here again, the voices we've heard. Moses says, love the Lord your God. Keep his requirements. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, it's not really that incomprehensible, actually. Have you ever been in love? Of course you have. You're not admitting it right now, some of you. But, but you have. And an interesting thing happens when you fall in love. When we love someone, it becomes our desire to bend our will into conformity with their will. Because we love them, we want to do what they want us to do. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, and I have permission to tell it. But I want you to know that for the last 15 years, I have been installing toilet paper rolls clean contrary to the way I did it for 54 years before that. Because 15 years ago, I, I discovered that I'd been doing it the wrong way. <laughs> now, I had trouble with that concept. Couldn't get my mind around it. Couldn't quite see why there was a right way or a wrong way. I was pretty proud of myself. I actually noticed that the roll was empty and I replaced it. But this person I had fallen in love with, who was a wonderful woman, felt like there was a very special way to do it. So for 15 years, I've done it that way. Because I loved her. Now I'll tell you two things, in case you're wondering. Number one is I still love her, in case you wonder about the past tense. Number two, putting the toilet paper on backwards has become a habit. And now if Anna does it wrong, it annoys me. Poor Anna. 
You see, that, that's how it works. When we love someone, our inclination is to bend our will to their will. So if we really love God, God says, you're going to want to obey me. Because that's how love works. And, and obeying then isn't onerous or difficult. It's just part of a loving relationship. It's got nothing to do with conventional logic or wisdom or rhetoric or reason or legalism. We love someone, we do what they want. We love God, we obey Him. But, now, this is where the rubber meets the road. Here's the question. How can we know what God wants of us and from us if we've become negligent or careless about reading His Word? How will we know if we don't know our Bibles? How can we know what, that God loves us and what he wants for us if we're not reading them thoughtfully and carefully? So obviously learning to, to spend time reading the Bible is enormously important for our relationship with God. And I would even suggest that if we're not reading carefully and thoughtfully, we run the danger of coming to church to worship and we end up worshiping a stranger. We don't know him that well. So it's important to read your Bible. Now here's the second thing to note, second reason. Spending time in the Bible is essential to growing into maturity as God's children. Our Father wants us to read the Bible because he wants us to use it in, to teach us, to guide us, to equip us to do great things in his kingdom. That's why he wants us to read it. Uh, listen to Paul's words to Timothy. Uh, we didn't hear them this morning. It's on page 915 if you, in your pew Bible if you'll turn to that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 14 to 17. And how fast can I get there? Not as fast as you, maybe. It's there. These are tiny pages. Okay. Chapter 3, verse 14. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know that they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now Paul tells us in Romans that we shouldn't be conformed to this age but should be renewed in our minds. How do we do that? Through scripture. And here he shows us more in detail. Number one, Scripture teaches us what is true. We have all kinds of voices around us telling us what is true. But often it doesn't line up with what Scripture says is true. And it becomes all too easy for us if we're not reading the Bible, and I see this at university today, for people to believe what they hear about God not what they've read about God. 
The Bible teaches us what is true. We may struggle with it. We may wrestle with it. We may reading it say, Lord, I, I know you say this is true. I don't understand it. But it teaches us what is true. It then makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. It rebukes us. It tells us when we're out of line. I'm not supposed to be doing these things. I shouldn't be thinking these ways about my coworkers. I shouldn't be treating people this way at work. It, it rebukes us when we're wrong. It instructs us in rightness. It corrects us. It tells us how to do it right. It tells us what we're doing wrong and then tells us how to do it right. And then he says again, it teaches us in righteousness. It teaches us how to be in a right relationship with God. It teaches us how to be in a right relationship with others. And then it equips us and prepares us for every good thing. To be the people God wants us to be. Well, that's, that's very blunt, plain, and simple. We read the Bible because it will change us. It will change how we live. It will change how we think. It will change how we relate to other people. Now, I don't think anybody in this room would disagree with me so far this morning. Yes, we need to be reading the Bible to know God. We need to be reading the Bible in order to grow in maturity. So how are we doing? Now, that's an interesting question, isn't it? And I'm not going to take a poll, because I might want to preach here again someday. And you might not let me. But I'll tell you what some other polls have found out. Um, first off, there's a prophet uh, at a major Christian college in the U.S. They call them colleges there. And he's written this. He said, Christians used to be known as people of one book. They memorized it, meditated on it, talked about it, taught it to others. We don't do that anymore. And in a very real sense, we're starving ourselves to death. Let me just give you some hard numbers. And, and I know stats aren't usually that helpful. And, 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 and maybe these aren't. I don't know. But maybe they'll help us get a perspective. Here are the categories used in a study here in Canada two years ago. The, the study took place 2013. These are the categories. People said they read the Bible daily. They read it a few times a week. They read it once a week. Read it once a month. Once or twice a month. A few times a year. Seldom. Never. First thing I'm going to do is show you statistics for Christian, Canadian Christians. They are Canadians who identify themselves as Christian. That's every kind of Christian. Every single kind uh, across the map. So these are, are people who identify, they're not non-Christians, they identify themselves as Christians. 6% read daily. 6% read a few times a week. 3% once a week. 4% once or twice a month. 8% a few times a year, and here's where it gets rather painful. 29% seldom, and 45% never. That's rather alarming. Now, who are we? We're Elam Chapel. We are part of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. We're official members 
of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. So we're an evangelical church. Well, they, they did a study among people who are self-declared evangelicals, which you are. You maybe didn't know that you were self-declaring as an evangelical, but by virtue of being part of this church, you were saying, yes, I'm an evangelical. So, uh, And you may not even know exactly what that means, but work with me. How do we do? 22% of us read daily. 22% of us read a few times a week. 6% read once a week. I like that. That means 50% of us are reading at least once a week from the Scripture. That, that's good. Uh, 8% once or twice a month. 6% a few times a year. 21% seldom. 15% never. So there's almost like a polarity in our, in our congregations, a split. So what, what does that mean? Well, I don't think we have to look too far for reasons. I, I think it's easy for us to identify the obstacles that there are to our reading the Bible. Uh, number one, we're all busy. I mean, you... I don't know when you set it as your aim to read the Bible. For me, it's in the morning. It's amazing how many things can creep into my morning between the time I get up and the time I get downstairs that conspire to keep me from reading my Bible. I mean, how can you be that busy at that time of day when it's still dark? Well, you're busy anticipating all the things you've got to do throughout the whole day because you're looking at this long list to do and you think, man, I better get on that right now. We're busy. Also, number two, as a, as a culture, we're becoming less literate. Uh, a quarter of the people living in the U.S., I don't have Canadian numbers, didn't read a single book last year. It wasn't that long ago when it was uh, only 8% who didn't read a book in the year. We're not reading, we're, we're, we're Twittering, we're blogging, we're computerizing, we're TV watching, we're doing all kinds of things, cable TV. Uh, uh. Another reason for young people, I think a problem that some young people have is they've become thoroughly postmodern because our culture is thoroughly postmodern. And one of the things that postmodernity does, if you've wondered what that term means, is it just denies the existence of any meta-narrative, any overarching story that gives meaning to life, to the universe, to people, to existence. They say there is no such truth. Well, what is the Bible? The Bible is that meta-narrative, that single story that begins in the Garden of Eden and, and ends in paradise, about redemption and God's plans for the earth. But our young people are taught to not trust that meta-narrative. It can't be true. It can't be true. So to get some of our young people to read the Bible, it goes against everything they're really being taught in a postmodern culture. And then there's Paul. Paul doesn't help us out very much. He says, all scripture is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for instruction. One said that Anna, to Wendy, I said, Anna can smell didactic a mile off and she'll run. Uh, 
That's true for most of us. Sometimes we don't want to be taught. We don't want to be rebuked. We don't want to be corrected. And the fifth reason, the fifth, fifth obstacle, maybe the biggest, is we have an enemy. We have an enemy. He doesn't want us to read the Bible. He doesn't want us to grow in our relationship with God. He doesn't want our lives to be transformed into Christ's likeness. He's opposed to all of that. So how are we going to overcome these huge obstacles? Somebody tell me the answer to that question, okay? How are we going to overcome those obstacles? Trick question. I already gave you the answer. The poster, remember? Habits. Habits. We create habits of Bible reading that will enable us to persevere. You remember the slogan? Motivation is what gets you started. Our motivation is to know God. Our motivation is to be transformed by God. That's pretty good motivation. Our motivation is to be taught by God. Motivation dies very quickly. Look at this cartoon. Look at this is uh, from BC, which I think is no longer being done. So here's this guy, Peter's Gym, open until February 1st. He says, what happens on February 1st? It converts back to Peter's Bar and Cheesecake Emporium. <laughs> Motivations to lose weight and get in shape at the first of the year die quickly. What works? Habits. Habits. What, what can we do to help us create habits of engaging God's Word, of reading God's Word, of, of spending time in it? I'm going to give you a couple of real simple answers, and again, the, I, I think you already know the answers, but I'll just remind you of them. Number one, start where you are, not where you think you ought to be. Baby steps, small steps. Let's say you're challenged today by this, and, and you get motivated to go home and, and read your Bible. And, and you're, you're going to start, and, and you're going to turn over a new leaf. I hope you are. Now let's think what's going to happen next. You have an enemy. And that enemy is going to come along, because that enemy knows your thoughts. Because he's been watching people for thousands and thousands of years, and we're, we're not that special that he can't figure us out pretty easily. What is the enemy going, what thought is he going to insinuate into your mind? Is he going to insinuate into your mind, that's a really dumb idea, don't do that. No, he's too smart. He's going to say, that is a brilliant idea. That is great. You should at least read three chapters a day, starting right now. Why is he doing that? Because if you don't start with baby steps, you're going to fail really fast. And the first time you fail, he'll be right there and he'll say, See, you couldn't do it. You can't do it. Give it up. So beat him. Start small. If you're not reading the Bible at all during the week, don't try to start every day. I'm happy if you start once a week. Start there. 
Start this afternoon, but, but start there. Just baby steps. Set some realistic small goals and start to reach those realistic small goals. Now, here's the second point. This is really, really important. I mean, it's really, really important. Don't try to do it alone. Get, get some help. Your, your chances of success will be enormously enhanced if you get an accountability partner. That's true in anything. I just saw a cartoon this week about this woman saying that uh, she, she was going to go to the gym and work out, but she needed an accountability partner, but she was having a hard time because George Clooney and Brad Pitt and somebody else's phone numbers were all unlisted. You need a, you need a partner. Because what happens? You know that you're going to ask each other, how are you doing? So you think, uh-oh, I'm not doing so well. I've got to get caught up. I'm supposed to be reading a chapter a day. I better get caught up. And then you know they're going to ask you, what, what are you learning from God's Word? What are you hearing God say to you? So you think, man, what is God saying to me? I better come up with something. That's how we're wired. Very few of us can exercise alone. A few people can. Most of us need a partner. We need an encourager. When, when it comes to developing habits that are good habits, you need somebody to come alongside you and help you, encourage you. So find somebody else that's having a hard time creating some good Bible reading habits and say, let's do it together. And let's hold each other accountable. Let's, let's beat encouragement to each other. Uh, when, when somebody falls down, you don't say, oh, man, that's terrible. No, say, hey, well, you'll do all right tomorrow. Just read, read a little bit extra tomorrow. We'll get caught up. And, and, and encourage each other. Now, you notice the last two Sundays, that maybe the last three, I think I was out of town three weeks ago, Rick has been interviewing some people from our congregation. And... Uh, they had been talking about prayer. Uh, that was the Neufelds. And uh, Lawrence and Marilyn talked about simplicity, I think, last week. But I was home in bed, so I missed that. You'll have to coach me up. Um, so I'm going to bring up a couple of experts on Bible reading right now from our congregation. Is that okay? Are you ready? Give them an applause. Experts, Bible reading. Come on, ladies. Grab a microphone. Pull hard. There you go. Hand it to, to Laura. You know Laura Western? And you know Anna Botkin? Okay. Laura, what, what are you guys doing between now and Easter? Uh, we are reading the 40-day Bible challenge. So we read a couple chapters each day. And by the time of each Easter, we should be... Um, about read all of the chapters, oh. like all the four Gospels. All four Gospels? Yeah. Between now and Easter? Yeah. And well, a couple of chapters a day? Yeah. And that includes the genealogies, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. You read that? <laughs> you don't look enthused. So where, so where are you, Laura? How far have you read? Um, right now I am John 9. John 9. Yeah. So you've read all of Matthew, all of Mark, all of Luke. Anna, how far are you? Um, 
Yesterday I finished John 14. John 14. So, well, you were ready for the reading today. Excellent. Now, that's a lot of reading to do from the Bible. Uh, what enabled you guys to do this great feat of performance? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> How'd you pull it off? How'd you manage? Um, what was your motivation? The food we get at the end. <laughs> the food you get at the end. Now, she's obviously talking about the spiritual nourishment that comes into our hearts and makes us want to be like God. What is the prize you get at the end? Laura? Um, we get to go to Prairie 360. Yeah, and then we get to eat um, dessert with Lisa and Neil. Kind of like our dessert. Oh, so you're doing it for a prize. Well, no, not really. Also to read. Also no, to read. no, 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 no. Every okay. single one of us in this room does things for prizes. And if we tell you we don't, we're not telling you the truth. And the ultimate prize is what? Knowing God. Having God change us and transform us and make us in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we're doing it. Now, you guys have had some help in this, haven't you? Who's helped you? Um, our small group leaders, Lisa, Neil, also, like, Kira, she doesn't go to this church, but she's also part of our small group, so she's also doing it with us. Okay, so, so Lisa over here, stand up, Lisa. She's short. <laughs> Lisa has been helping them. They haven't done it on their own. They've had a helper. And another girl who doesn't go to this church, but is part of your youth group, is helping you. Because you're not trying to do it alone. Uh, Laura, what's the most interesting thing you've read out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or John? Um, Surprising? Something surprised you? Well, um, Jesus teaches a lot of parables. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he uses stories. Um, because we relate to stories. Uh, Anna, what, what has surprised you? One of the, th I learned two big things. This one smaller. I learned that Jesus went to a lot of feasts. <laughs> yeah, now she mentioned that to me last night. And I said, well, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because we often think of Jesus as this uh, dour teacher. But when you read the Gospels, you begin to realize how many dinner parties he's at. And how many people he's having sharing meals with. And people he's feeding uh, so maybe Prairie 360 is not necessarily a bad idea to close off your Bible reading. Are you going to keep reading the Bible after this challenge? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, do, I appreciate that honesty. I, I, I do. How can I help you read apart from know. bribery? <laughs> I don't know. Thank you, girls. I, you can put that back. I, I really appreciate that these girls are reading scripture. But, well, by the way, you memorized a bunch of scripture this year. Yeah, yeah. we did. What did, you, what did you, a chapter? No, 20 chapters. No, 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 no 20 verses. 20 verses. 20 verses they memorized. Yeah. 20, That's yeah, excellent. <laughs> okay, go ahead and sit down.
Now, what works for them works for you, okay? Get help. Get some friends together. Reward yourselves. Nothing wrong with that. Say, you know, after we finish reading the gospel, we'll go out for pie. Is there any sin with that? No. Encourage each other. Help each other. Help each other to create habits. And, and I know that Justina and Lisa and the other people who, who work with our youth are going to continue to try to help them develop lifelong habits of reading God's Word. And, and let's pray for them that, that they are successful in that. But let's also help each other develop lifelong habits in, in reading God's Word. My, my, just on a closing thought, uh, please, when you read, expect to meet God. You're not going to feel explosive fireworks every time you read the Bible by any means. But every time you come to the Bible, say, Lord, I'm, I'm here to meet you. I'm here to hear you. If there's something you don't understand in there, say, Father, I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense to me. Can you help me find out the answer to what this means for me? You pray that honestly. He'll probably plant some name in your head and he'll say, Oh, call Brian Barkley. And he'll give you the answer. Because God works that way. Trust me, if you really honestly want to understand his word and you're struggling, he'll help you find the answers. Don't expect to understand everything. Don't expect to feel the same about every part of Scripture. Scripture's an enormous variety of different kinds of writings. Uh, But trust the Holy Spirit to meet you. Finally, the last word, final word of this sermon is get started today. Start new habits today. Don't quit. Nothing kills a habit like quitting. Don't give up. Let's pray. We thank you for your word, Father. For in it you've shown us who we are, who you are, who your son is, who your spirit is. You show us what you, your plans are for us, what your plans are for our world. We thank you for this. Help us to engage your word even more, to read it, to think about it, to let it shape our lives, to let it shape our behavior and our thinking. Help us to encourage one another to form new habits of Bible study, of Bible reading. Help us, Lord, because we have a lot of obstacles against us, a lot of difficulties. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.